Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks so much for joining in and for being a part of the Cool Things community. We are up to episode number 285. We're quickly, quickly closing in on that episode 300. And I appreciate everyone who listens to each and every one of these shows. Be part of our community. Jump over to the Facebook page, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and follow us there. Or I'm on Twitter, at Cool Podcast. And if you really want to get involved, you can join the Potential Mastermind Project, which is the group coaching program that came out of a couple of listeners asking me, how come you don't have a group coaching program? So I started that. We now have a mighty group of people who meet for some online calls once a week. I do a little one-on-one coaching involved, and you can find out everything you need to know about that at potentialmastermind.com. So if you listen regularly, you know every now and then I like to focus on sales, and I love to have people on the show who are sales experts because my belief is if you're an entrepreneur or a business leader or if you're working for a company, the one thing that can't be overlooked is the growth of your business. It is so important that you focus on that, and today I have a growth expert on. So we're going to talk about his entrepreneurial career, but I'm also going to ask him a little bit of advice for all of you who are listening on how you can really buckle down, focus on growth, and grow your sales. So today I have with me Ian Altman. Hey, Ian, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Tom, let me tell you, I feel cool just being on your show because it's cool things entrepreneurs do. I'm going to tell my kids I was on something cool today. That's right. You can tell them it's it's at Cool Podcast. We are the cool podcast. So So cool, it doesn't need air conditioning. That's how cool it is. (laughs) Ian, that is not true. I live in Texas. (laughs) We need air conditioning. We never... In fact, there's one thing in Austin we don't joke about in the month of August. That is, we don't joke about air conditioning. We need that. (laughs) I have no idea how people lived in Texas 100 years ago. The pioneers who settled here, God love them. There were better men and women than I am, but uh, we don't joke about that. So we have lots of They were better men and women, and they lived sweaty lives. They they must have stunk. But (laughs) now we can have entrepreneurs who smell like they've taken showers and they are fresh all day long. And so, Ian, tell me, how did you become an entrepreneur? What sort of led you to this path of working for yourself? Well, so this this is my, I guess, third entrepreneurial adventure. And... The and so my my first one, I was working for another company, and the guy I worked for at the time was this guy Bob Priscelli, and I was frustrated because the business itself, the they weren't pursuing opportunities that I thought they should, and the company said, "Look, I do not want you pursuing these opportunities." So I'm sitting with Bob, and he explains, "Well, what are you frustrated about?" And and I showed him on a whiteboard, "Look, Bob, there's three quarters of a million dollars worth of business right here." All I need is permission. I can sell it. I can do the work. And Bob says, well, so why don't you just do it? And I said, no, no, because <laughs> the executive team won't give me permission. And Bob said, no, no, I'm not saying do it here. Why don't you go do this? Um, I started my first company in 1993. We quickly became a fast 50 company, one of the 50 fastest growing companies in the Washington, D.C. area. I think Bob was employee number seven, um, became my COO. I called him up and said, look, I, I need you know I need you to come work with me. 
And Bob says, doing what? And I said, managing me. <laughs> you, you, so were such was, a good, you were such a good boss. Now that I own my own business, I need you back. Exactly. So I, so we, we built that company by 1998. We added a software company also, and then sold both companies in 2005 to a group of investment bankers out of New York. They asked me to serve as managing director of the parent company. We grew the value, the combined value of those businesses from $100 million to a couple billion dollars over just over three years. And, um, and I quickly realized that I enjoy growing businesses more than I enjoy running them. And so when I started this business, which is basically, you know, I, I work as a speaker and, um, and help companies on strategy and sales education, you know, it's, I get to help people grow their businesses all day long, but I don't have to manage them. And that's a perfect marriage for me. <laughs> so are you Plus, a I would be an awful employee. <laughs> <laughs> so are you a solopreneur do you, or do you have people who work with you? No, I've, I've I've got some people on my team, but it's um, but I, I try to keep it as small as possible. I outsource as much as humanly possible. So all of my finance and accounting is outsourced. Web design development is outsourced. Um, you know, graphic design stuff outsourced. And then I've got um a few people on my team who work with me day in and day out and keep me on track and make sure that I don't let anybody down. So, you know, you mentioned that you'd make a horrible employee. People ask me all the time, could you go back? I've been working as a speaker and a master of ceremonies now for eight years. They're like, could you go back and work for somebody? And I said, you know, a lot of people say no, like you did. I actually think I could, and I think I would be the best employee a company has ever had, having had to deal with all the crap that goes on and everything I have to deal with without anybody to sort of help me and having the buck stop on my own desk. I think I would go in and like hug my boss every day before I left and say, thank you for doing all the BS work that I don't want to do. Then you are a better man than I am. I, you know, at, at, at our peak, I had offices in 12 different countries and managing all the personalities and politics across 12 countries and multiple locations and flying a ridiculous amount and spending time in the air and, you know, all the different protocols in each country. I am, uh, I, I'm thrilled to not be doing that anymore. And, and I'm very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do it. I learned a lot. So I, uh, I said earlier that, you know, you're an expert on growth. So you wrote a book called Same Side Selling. How important is selling to entrepreneurs? Does it, do, do some people forget that growth is really the key of what they have to be doing? And, and what is same side selling? There, that's a lot for you in one question. Fair enough. Well, it's, and I'm good with the compound questions. So, so one of the things is this, is that it's not that people forget that sales and growth is important. It's that most entrepreneurs start a business because they're passionate about something. There's something they do really well. They don't necessarily understand how and why customers would buy that, but they understand that, wow, I offer this, and there's someone who already knows me and understands me who expressed an interest. So naturally, the rest of the free world must figure that out also, and they don't. And so shortly thereafter, they say, well, man, now I got to figure out how I can sell this stuff. And so they read these stereotypical sales books, and they learn all about sales from the salesperson's perspective, but none of it from the client's perspective. And so I co-wrote Same Side Selling with a guy named Jack Quarles. And you can probably tell from his last name, Quarles, um, Jack's a guy who spent 20 years in purchasing and procurement. <laughs> and so what we talk about in the book is the adversarial traps that pit buyer and seller against one another, what causes those, and how we can get it so the buyer and seller are more on the same side of the table, metaphorically putting a puzzle together instead of being involved in the death match together. So the principle of same side selling is that I'm not really selling anything. I'm trying to solve what's most important for my clients. And if I can, I'm a great asset to them. 
So, you know, I just think of it from my role as a speaker. And when I think about, you know, what's going on on the other side, one of the things I've always done, because I'm an old sales guy, started my career, I was a 100% commission sales guy. If I didn't sell, we didn't eat. And so, you know, I, I have a little bit of a background in this. And one of the things I find all the time is speakers oftentimes don't think of themselves as part of the meetings industry. So they never think about what the meeting planner needs from their presenter. They just think about, hey, I've got this great keynote or I've written a book or people tell me I'm a good speaker. So, you know, using that as sort of an example, what are some of the things that people who sell consulting or speaking or, or stuff like that need to be conscious of, of what their buyer wants? Well, I, I, there's, there's a couple of things. The, the, one, of the, one of the principles that we talk about in the book is this notion of understanding the problems that you solve. So rather than if, if, I, if you ask most entrepreneurs, what do you do? They say, oh, I do X. Oh, I'm, I'm an attorney. I'm an accountant. You know, I'm a speaker. And if someone asks me, GE, and what do you do? What I say is, look, my clients typically come to me because they've got something great, but their message falls on deaf ears. Their clients always focus on price instead of value. They have these long sales cycles that go on forever. They don't understand why. All they know is that sometimes they win a deal, sometimes they lose, and they don't understand what they should do differently the next time. And so I fix that for organizations. Well, that's something that people can understand. And so for entrepreneurs, oftentimes what happens is you know so well what you do that you don't necessarily understand why people would buy it and what problems you solve. The trap in that is that if you, if you don't understand what you're solving for them and how impactful that can be and how you can change their world, you may not understand what it's worth. So you might price things based on what it costs you instead of pricing it based on what the value is to the other person. And so if you better understand the problems that you solve and what happens if they don't solve those problems, and if you better understand what kind of results you can deliver for that organization and how impactful that would be, once you understand that information, now you have a pretty good idea of what you're worth. So you've been doing this for a long time. You had bigger businesses. Now you have kind of more of a, of a smaller, more compact business that you're doing a lot with. But what do you absolutely love about the lifestyle you've created as an entrepreneur, working for yourself? Um, you know what? I, don't, I think I've missed maybe one or two of my son's soccer games in the last eight years. So that kind of stuff is, is great. There's times where I'm away, you know, out of the country speaking at an event and I might miss an event here or there. But you know, I've got my, my daughter is heading off to college in a week and we're spending a week um, where she's going to school just you know, with the family because we can. So having that level of flexibility is fantastic. And I will tell you, the other big thing I love is that our kids really understand what business is about and what it takes to run a business. And so they have a different appreciation for business than maybe a lot of their friends have. So is your daughter your first kid to go to college? She is. So is she going far or are you one of these people who, oh, my daughter's leaving. She's going an hour away. No, I was trying to get her to go to the, like some place that you can only get to in four flights. But um, so no, she's uh, she's going to New Orleans to Tulane University. What an awesome school. Yeah. So where about and whereabouts are you? Uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. Oh, so I mean, that's a commute. That's a that's yeah. a little bit of a haul there. So, yeah, so it's a it's it's a few hour, you know, two and a half hour flight, something like that 
down there. So it's it's far enough, but close enough. You can get there nonstop. So, and New Orleans is a big convention town. So here's a little piece of advice, because my daughter went to Pittsburgh two years ago. And what I started doing is telling anyone in Pittsburgh, I'll come speak at your company or your conference for $1.95 and a chicken dinner if you will just get me to Pittsburgh. And uh, <laughs> I go to Pittsburgh two or three times a year. And my wife gets jealous, because I get to go and, and hang out and have dinner with my daughter, take her and her boyfriend out to a, a Penguins game, because she's in, in Pittsburgh. And uh, I get to explore the town where, where she is. So you little little piece of advice is the great thing about being an entrepreneur is you can actually schedule schedule some of your work where your kids go to school. Yeah, you know what? There's a lot of stuff down there. I think the problem is that that she would be uh, she would be telling people, look, if you let my dad come down and interrupt my life in college, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do counter work against your event. So <laughs> I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna be there all next week as well speaking. So uh, maybe I'll, right. I'll keep my eyes open for you on Bourbon Street. All right, perfect. Hey, you'll see us there. Is there anything about the life of an entrepreneur you don't like? Are there ever days where you think I could go back and be an employee and this would be so much easier? You know what? I may be an anomaly in that there's nothing really that I don't like about it. Um, there's a lot of people who who do not like the notion of look, you know, I'm I'm dependent upon my own livelihood. I kind of believe that we're all dependent upon our own livelihood anyhow, and. Um, so I kind of thrive on that environment and, and I've been fortunate in having grown some businesses to a large level. Um, I have a little bit more flexibility and a little less pressure than, um, than most. And given that a lot of what I teach has to do with sales strategies and approaches, if I can't grow my business, there's a problem. <laughs> That's a good point. Hey, so Ian, what advice do you have for people who want to start their own business, who want to go take that leap and create their own path? So so the, the biggest thing is to understand unequivocally who your client is, what they can't solve for themselves today that you can solve better than other people and why. So as I said before, oftentimes what will happen is someone says, for example, oh, I'm going to go into the IT consulting space. And you say, okay, well, why? Well, because I want to start an IT company, which is a great reason, but it isn't necessarily going to translate to results for you. But instead, if you said, here's the small group of people I can have a big impact for and why, and start articulating that message, it makes a big difference. See, if you think about it, Let's say every time you drove down the street in your car, when you made a right-hand turn, there was a squeaking sound coming from your car. What would you type into Google? Well, most of us wouldn't type in ASC certified mechanic. We would type in <laughs> right turn squeaking sound. And so if that's the way we search for things, then we've been trained by Google to search based on a description of the problem, not based on a description of the solution. So we need to first be able to articulate the problem that we solve and then the second thing I would tell people is you need to make sure that you can disarm people early in the process. So early on, entrepreneurs often are hungry for business and everybody who meets them feels like they're being hocked or trying to, sold, trying to be sold something. And none of us like that feeling. So instead, if you can disarm that notion early on by saying, look, here are the types of problems that we solve, but I don't know whether I can solve that for you. Do you know of one or two people who might be facing those problems? And if they are, they'll say, yeah, I know somebody, me. And if not, they might refer you to someone else. So the mistake that a lot of people make is if they go to a room of eight people, they think to themselves, which of these eight people can be a client of mine? Instead of thinking, which of these eight people might know somebody who I could really help? 
Well, and that goes hand in hand sort of with one of the things I teach when I teach people sort of how to get engaged in their community as, as networking or whatever you want to call it, is don't go to that Chamber of Commerce event or that you know cocktail party or whatever it is thinking, who has a pork chop around their neck? I am a wolf who hasn't eaten. Vroom, I got to pounce on them. But instead, go in thinking not, who are one or two people I can sell to? Go in thinking, who are one or two people that I can help get closer to solving whatever their problem is? And sometimes... That might be because of the product and service you offer, but more often it's someone in your network who can solve it for you. So when you meet people, you find out what their problems are, and then you become the connector, and all of a sudden people see you as that person with so much value. So that sort of goes hand in hand with everything that I believe in and sort of how do you engage people. Yeah, there's, there's, even, there's even an element of this. There's something that we write about in the book called the same side pitch, and the same side pitch follows this model of entice, disarm, and discover. So if you meet somebody at an event, they say, what do you do? It's, well, first I entice. So I say, well, my clients typically, you know, let's say if I, if, if I was someone who focused on speakers, typically speakers like you come to me when either, and let's say it was, you know, whatever the three major problems are that group would be having. So they either have this, this, that. And for the right organizations, they tell us we deliver amazing results, but only about half the people I talk to are the right fit for how we approach that. So I don't yet know if I can help you, which is the disarm. But if those are issues you're facing or you know someone who is, I'm happy to learn more to see if I can help. So now you always show up as someone who's there to solve, not sell. And you're disarming the notion that you're there to sell something with the added truth of you don't know if you can help them or not yet. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's awesome. Hey, I've got a couple more questions for you, Ian. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Hey, Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Ian Altman. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Ian, I actually know you through sort of an online Facebook networking group of speakers. I mean, we've never actually met before, but how important do you think it is to network if you're going to be an entrepreneur? Um, I think it's absolutely essential. And it's for multiple reasons. It's not just for business growth, but it's for combined learning. And I'm, I'm launching some online products, uh, digital products, and to be able to collaborate with other people and see which mistakes we've made in common and how we should do things differently is essential. And as an entrepreneur, you know, when you're working inside of a company with a bunch of people, you get a lot of shared experience and insight. As an entrepreneur, just recognize that if you think you have all the answers, then you need to think again because <laughs> we usually don't. But if you build the right network of really smart friends, then when something comes up, you share ideas with each other and you end up with a better outcome. So the way that's sort of the way we and I got put together is I put a question out there amongst that network of speakers because I wanted to talk to people about why be on podcasts. So I had originally asked who's been on a lot of podcasts. I want to do a specific uh, show about that. And then I saw that you were a sales expert. I said, no, I want you to come in and talk about sales. But you do a lot. You, you have your own podcast. And you've done well over 100 yeah. episodes. But then you've been a guest on a lot of podcasts. Sure. So it seems to me lately, we're starting your own podcast a year or two ago was sort of the hot buzzword. Lately, it's guesting. How can you be a guest 
on a podcast. So why do you think being a guest on a podcast is good for an entrepreneur and maybe how it helps sales? Well, you know what? I think I think it creates and establishes more expertise and people get a sense of how you think. So for example, you have people in your audience right now who, as I'm describing things, some people are saying, this guy is totally nuts. I disagree with him 100%. Other people are saying, hey, that makes a lot of sense. That could really help me. Well, that latter group actually is probably inclined to do a search and say, hey, who is this guy? And I want to learn more. And maybe they listen to my podcast. Maybe they maybe they engage me and join my communities, or maybe they don't. But it establishes your area of expertise. Now, as somebody who writes articles weekly for Forbes and Inc. and speaks all over the world, for me, it's less about brand recognition. And it's more just a function of, look, the more my message gets out and the more I can help change how people approach sales from an integrity standpoint, the better I feel about it. And sometimes people connect with me and say, oh, I heard you on so-and-so's podcast. Can you come speak at our event? Oh, I heard you at so-and-so's podcast. You're crazy. I totally disagree. I'm happy to get either one of those. (laughs) Although I like the ones where they want to book me to speak more, but I agree. Absolutely. And sometimes they say, you are totally crazy. Would love to book you to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Those are probably the best. But but I do agree in that it's so interesting because my podcast has been the single best thing I've done for networking in my career. And and the sideline on that is I've been teaching this stuff for over a decade. I've been speaking on the topic forever. In the last three years, this podcast has allowed me to meet people like you, interview them, develop friendships. But then also I've picked up several clients of people who listen to the show who go back to the trade association they belong to or the company they work for and say, I have an idea of someone who should be on the short list for our keynote speaker for next year. And I didn't really expect that byproduct to be as prevalent as it was. So, you know, I find that the the podcasting and the networking have sort of weaved themselves together. Yeah. You know what? I think there's a, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, some, some of my great friends are people who I had either I met them briefly and then had them on a podcast. And then you realize, wow, this person is really smart. And you see where all the connections are between you because you have an opportunity to talk about things in this forum that you may not otherwise have an opportunity to discuss. Right. Well, I've got you captive for a half hour here. So that was awesome. See? So Ian, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Well, so we're just launching this thing called the Same Side Selling Academy. And so that for me is exciting because there's a whole subset of the of the world out there that candidly I'm probably priced over the market. And so this this academy is a whole bunch of videos and resources that can help people reinforce concepts um, and allow people to interact who are all following the same side selling methodology. And the embarrassing part is that I have had clients asking for this. Um, for way longer than I care to admit, which is, I mean, literally several years. And we keep saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. And finally, we're doing it now. And um, so that's that's the most exciting thing going on because it allows me to serve a segment of the audience I haven't been serving well up to now. And if somebody says Same Side Selling Academy, that sounds right up my alley. How do they find it? Um, it's very complicated. They go to samesidesellingacademy.com. That was clever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, you're good. You are good at sales, Ian. <laughs> Hey, that's how they'll get there. (laughs) So I have a question that I ask everybody who comes on this show as we sort of wrap it up. I have two questions. And the first one is, I love to ask people who else they see out there that they think is doing something cool. Because I think entrepreneurs are observers. And we could talk about Ian Altman and the Same Side Selling Academy all day long. 
But in reality, I like to know kind of who you see, where you think that entrepreneur, they're doing cool things. You know what? There, there, there are so many people. There, there's um, a couple that come to mind. So one is Marcus Sheridan. Um, so Marcus Sheridan, which is the sales lion on Twitter. And um, Marcus is a guy who was in the swimming pool business. And when the, when the economy hit in the early 2000s, um, maybe maybe 2008, that time frame, um, he had to figure out how to be more effective at marketing and use content marketing, didn't know what it was. And it became a featured story in the New York Times and like how this guy transformed his business. And now he goes around the world helping people understand that. And he's transformed his business really into being master communicators. And so now when it comes to video content marketing, they do amazingly well. And then the other one is a guy named Phil Jones. And Phil's a guy who's originally from the UK. He's been a guest on this show maybe yeah. 10 or 12 episodes ago. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and Phil, Phil's just fantastic. And his latest book is called Exactly What to Say. And just really great content around specific phrases that can really pivot the way you have conversations with prospects and clients. So um, those, those are the two. I mean... I could talk for an hour and a half just on people who, who impressed me, and those are two of them. No, that, that's great. Good answers. And I know Phil pretty well, and, and he was a great guest on the show. I, I always tell him he's got one of the, of the recent shows. He's got the most downloads of any of the shows in the last three months. And I say it's just because of the British accent. That's the only Absolutely. reason. People just keep downloading it to hear him talk all British. Yeah, you know what? I, I had Phil, I, I had about a month ago, um, about a month ago I had – a situation where I lost my voice, which as a speaker yeah. is the one thing that scares you. <laughs> and so I lost my voice and I was, I was communicating via text with Phil and Phil says, it was a small audience, about 80 people. And Phil says, look, you can, you can bring me in via, via video and I'll, and I'll work with this group. And my client happened to be an organization at the time where it was about 95% women. And so we, we finish. And those of you who don't know, Phil, he's a, handsome, a rather, he's a handsome, handsome young guy, man too. Yeah. Right. Um, so we finish, we disconnect. And the first question is, is he married? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Hey, the last question I have is I think in addition to being observers, I think entrepreneurs want to give back. They want to leave their mark on the world. So I love to ask people who come on the show, what is it that you do to impact the greater good? Uh, you know what? For starters, I'm I'm a sucker for charitable causes. So if someone's doing a race or some something like that for some charity, the first thing I do is I make sure that it's actually a noble charity. So it's not one where 80% of what they take in goes to <laughs> the management, but instead that most of it goes to the intended recipients. The other one is there's an organization that candidly, I haven't had as much time to work with lately, but it's one that always inspires me called the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship. And what they do is they bring in entrepreneurs at different success levels. And actually, we go into schools and lower income areas and teach and speak to the students about entrepreneurship. Because many of them, if you think about it, you know, my kids take for granted what entrepreneurship is. But if you're someone in a, in a depressed area, you may not recognize what alternatives are out there for you. And so it's always inspiring to me. Once they, once they get past the initial question or two of, is that your car outside? Um, <laughs> they ask some great questions and really you find out what, 
what inspires them. And it's a cool thing to be able to be involved in. That is a great way to give back. That's awesome that you do that. So, so Ian, first of all, thank you for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Good luck with launching your daughter off to college. Like I said, I, I did that for the first time two years ago. I have to do it again in three more years. So uh, I'm hoping that the time goes really slow. I'm not ready to do that again. But uh, good luck with that. And I hope our paths cross more often. Absolutely. We'll have, to, we'll have to make sure. And if anyone has any questions, the easiest way to reach me is ianaltman.com or ianaltman on Twitter. But uh, it was fun hanging out, man. And I feel just that much cooler having hung out with you. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you how people reach you, but it's just ianaltman.com. He's, he's really good with these .coms. He's a, you can tell he's a good sales guy. That's good. <laughs> exactly. Hey, and for all of you who tuned in, I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So something weird's happening. We have almost, in half a month, doubled the amount of downloads of the show. You all must be telling your friends. I, I said a few episodes ago, if everybody just tells one friend about the show, we'll double it. And apparently, every single person who downloads the show has taken that to heart. So uh, keep telling your friends about the show. If you like the show, jump over to iTunes and leave a review. Uh, it makes my day really bright when we get some of those positive reviews, and they keep coming in. So I think we're up to about 140 reviews. I'd, I'd like to get that a little higher. So uh, do me a favor. Jump over to iTunes. Let us know what you like about cool things entrepreneurs do. Hey, we're going to be back, or I'm going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Ian Altman. But in the meantime, I challenge you, go on out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.